Hello, you're listening to the Fintech Magazine podcast. In today's episode, we speak to Dan Renew, Head of Product, as well as Petros Giannis, Chief Technology Officer at Recreo. Find out more about the company's approach to digital transformation, tax structure, and Project One Trust. Hello, Petros. Dan, uh, could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and kind of your career so far? How did you end up getting to Recreo? Obviously, I've done a bit of research on Petros, but uh, a little bit of background information on the two of you and your, your current roles. So superannuation is is pretty much what I've worked in since I left university. It's It's been a, I won't call it a calling, but it's certainly been um, what I've chosen to do in life to a certain extent. So in terms of my work history, I've uh, worked over at Barclays in London for a while in their wealth division. Mm-hmm. Um, Originally at Prudential in Sydney, I've worked in, um, but most of my most of the career has been within CBA and most of it at Colonial First State, which is one of our bigger retail super funds in Australia. Okay. Um, did a stint there of I think all up about eighteen years or so um, in the kind of solution design, um, product design space, going through project management and and delivery into more of the design side of things mm-hmm. um, and being a solution consultant for, I think, the last six, seven years of my tenure there. So moving on to Recreo, um, I came in doing a lot of the same kind of stuff where it was more delivery focused and we're trying to get the product across the line, right? So these things are a massive undertaking when you build a, a an enormous package of software like this. And so we got the runs on the board, but now we've delivered it. It's about what's the next stage? What are we doing next? How do we how do we step up to the plate to be the best the best platform in the market? We're obviously the newest and, and the most agile and flexible because of the way right. we've designed it. But how do we how do we build out the feature set? Mm-hmm. So um, I think guys like Petros and I that have had a lot of experience working on a lot of different systems, we're going to lead the way in making sure that the, the features, the things that the system can actually do outside of the minimum compliant kind of focus that we had to go live, where do we push it next? How do we make sure it's um, it's digital, it's configurable, it's scalable, all that kind of stuff that, mm-hmm. that is the next generation of platforms rather than just being a system that can do administration. For sure, for sure. And Petros. Okay. So um, I've got roughly 25 years of experience in software development and systems engineering. Funnily enough, the first my first job out of university was uh, working in defence. So I had a job um, straight out of uni working on Funnily enough, something completely unrelated, um, submarine combat systems. So it was kind of interesting in that I went from a world of like really high discipline, really high engineering standards you had to adhere to to, to make any sort of changes, just given the, the criticality of systems like that where, you know, if they fail, effectively you you can lose 200 lives like that. So right. um so I spent the five years of my life working on defence systems and in, in those sorts of environments, systems engineering, software engineering. Then um, had an opportunity to go and work for a financial services software company and then that kind of led to my the next phase of my career, which was effectively working in financial institutions like, um, like CBA, like Westpac, right. uh, a bit of a stint at the stock exchange as well but working on more of those 
mission critical, you know, financial services systems. Mm-hmm. And a large number of those years were just in wealth in general and, and superannuation systems to a large degree as well, given, you know, the importance of superannuation within the wealth industry in Australia as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit about me. Um, joined Recreo back in September of last year, having come from a big bank environment for the last 10 to 15 years. It just sounded like a, an exciting, nimble, new environment, maybe a little bit, a little bit less bureaucracy than the, the bigger institutions. So, sure, yeah, it just sure. sounded like an exciting place doing some really innovative, good things and um, was really drawn to it. That's really cool. In some ways, though, you can't apply those disciplines fully because if, if you did, you'd probably break the bank, you know, it, right, no pun right. intended there. You know what I mean? The the standards there are fit for purpose for what they're doing. But sometimes in finance, you've got to take a little bit more risk in software mm-hmm. development and try things that, you know, I guess it's the, the new mantra as well that you've got to experiment a bit and, and learn from your failures. It's just the problem in defence is expen- failures are very expensive. So, so you, yes. you've got to, it's kind of two worlds there, if you know what I mean. For yeah. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that drew me to Recreo was the, the fact that there hasn't really been any new um, platforms in the market for a long time that have got good traction. There's no one entering the market. It's an incredibly hard thing to do to build a, a software platform like this that, that can manage such a such a huge number of processes and and and, and do it well. So when I when I found out that this company was attempting to do it, I was initially a bit uh, not scared, but I thought, Jesus, why? Why are you trying to build one? It's so risky and so hard. Like people have tried and failed. You, you burn thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours trying to put this stuff together. But Recreo have actually done it. And when I joined in January last year, they were probably, um, I'd say, 75% of the way. But mm-hmm. I'd spun wheels for a few years. Um, but set deadlines that that were just unachievable. Um, but it's built momentum over time. And so when I came in, it was it was really running, sprinting towards the line. Um, a lot of work still to do, but it had become a reality, which was kind of mind-boggling to me that a company this small could actually do it. Right, for sure. Would one of you mind kind of essentially outlining? from a very layman's perspective like what superannuation is and uh, how recreo's uh, kind of platform is the the value that that creates and kind of the purpose that that serves yeah i'll take that one so superannuation generally in australia is a um, it's a it's a mandated government initiative essentially it's for savings right so as the population gets older um the governments are trying to arbitrage the the, the growth in essentially welfare retirement pensions by forcing savings during the, the, the life of someone's employment makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's spawned trillion dollar industries all over the world. It's a, it's a massive undertaking. Um, it was a big hit, especially on employers in the first place in Australia when the initial, the initial superannuation legislation came in, which I think was in 92 from memory. And the employers basically had to stump up Another, I think at the time it was 3% to everyone's wages, which obviously suppressed wages through the industries. But now it's come full circle where we've got this massive pool of cash sitting there, which creates buffers through the economy. It's a fantastic, I guess, safety net in a lot of ways. And 
spawned a lot of investment because those dollars are always looking for a place to land as well. It has to be invested. So that's funded infrastructure through the country. It's it's kept um, the share market probably a lot more buoyant than it would have been without it. There's tons of benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, And what Recreo brings to the show really is um, we're the first one in the cloud. So what we've tried to do, superannuation systems have been around for a long time, since the 90s. Um, but a lot of people built their own at the time, so it was a, 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 an evolving beast, and everyone's ended up with this big, long chain of systems that have been built on top of each other to manage this stuff. It's really hard, really hard to keep that stuff updated to get it working proficiently because it's all it's all band-aided together. You think of the, um, I think the phrase I heard earlier today was Frankenstacks. Frankenstacks, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the spaghetti. Bowl of spaghetti, it's, it's <laughs> a massive mess, you know, of things that are touching and connecting with each other. This is a clean slate. This is an attempt to, to build it to modern standards, to actually build it in one package. So we've got workflow, registry, um, front end, all built on the same technology, more or less, and all integrated quite cleanly. You, um, you look at some of these companies that are uh, dragging the chain of legacy and they're spending 80 million a year upkeeping all these old systems um, yeah. they can't do what they need them to do i actually had a quote from uh, from andrew bain who said that uh, about one trust that you've released some, something very cutting edge into a market that is crowded with legacy platforms i was wondering if you could speak to i think you mentioned it a little bit a moment ago but could speak some more to the um, the kind of the pain points that are created by having these kind of legacy superannuation systems and maybe contrast that a bit with the uh, this kind of the solutions and service that uh, Recreo provides. Might throw that one to you, Patrick. It's it's a complex ecosystem, as Dan alluded to. There's there's multiple superannuation providers in Australia. So ranging mm-hmm. from there's industry super providers who typically have superannuation funds for a specific sector, like in our case, the mining industry, for example, is one of our customers. There's other industry super funds around health services or retail workers. And then you've got the big retail funds offered by the banks typically that are more for-profit type setups. Mm -hmm. So each one of those providers over the last 30 or 40 years that Super's been running have either, as Dan alluded to, built their own bespoke systems. There's a couple of big vendors as well. Like I think um, FNZ is one that's probably familiar in the UK market as well that has recently acquired a superannuation vendor in Australia. But you've got these multiple vendors there as well. And I think just the phasing of it now, like 30, 40 years into it, a lot of these systems developed by vendors especially, and you know, and specifically the in-house ones, are based on old, in some cases, you know, co- cobalt mainframes. You know, some of the, the ones I dealt with at the banks are built on power builder front ends. They're typically deployed in-house, so there's a lot of infrastructure overhead that needs to be managed by the companies hosting these as well. And not mm-hmm. really and they were kind of built and designed in the area in the era before cloud. So it's very difficult for them to take or, or take advantage of some of the um, benefits of cloud as well. Like I know having come from a, a bank managing superannuation systems and vendors, one of my biggest overheads there was just the infrastructure side of things, like making sure operating systems were patched, you're on the latest version of the database, your operating system was in support, and just the, the hardware boxes that you typically need to run these environments. 
is just right. an enormous cost. So mm -hmm. what we can do at Recreo, and it's something I've never seen in, in my you know work history before, is if we need a superannuation environment to run this system, we can just spin it up, you know, rapidly in, in, in the cloud. And to give you an example, like I've just come from one of the banks where we were doing project planning where all we needed was an environment to do some testing. And it was a six-week lag time to provision that. And I won't go into the hundreds of thousands of dollars to just simply provision an environment where we can run a superannuation system just in test mode. Whereas with Recreo, we, we can spin one up in, um, you know, I think we've got it down to days now, but ideally I think we're setting ourselves aggressive targets around you can just spin this environment up in minutes, right? And I think mm -hmm. those advantages are just too too good to ignore. And that's where I think a lot of the legacy players just can't can't compete or keep up. For sure. Fantastic. Well, I mean, there's no there's no denying that this is quite a historic project being so far uh, kind of ahead of the curve in this industry that's full of so many legative, uh, legacy options. Um, I think, Dan, you mentioned uh, a little bit before about when you arrived at Recreo, there was uh, some kind of spinning of wheels. I was wondering if you guys would like to maybe speak to some of the... Uh, the challenges and I guess the whole kind of the process of designing and building one trust and kind of uh, the timeline of that. So from what I can gather, and I, I started in January last year, but the, the project has been going from best I can make out 2014. Wow. And if you think of, if you think of the, um, so the, the scenarios and the complexity in managing these, this volume of money and these volumes of, of members or customers it's just it's kind of mind-boggling after working on them for so many years thinking of building one from scratch to me was was a pretty scary prospect and mm -hmm. um, I, I gather that in the first three years they were spinning wheels and they were finding it very hard to come up with what you might be able to hang your hat on and say that's compliant because superannuation is so rigorously uh, legislated it's a massive barrier to entry for anyone that's um, trying to disrupt the industry, it just takes so long and, and so much money and, and manpower to actually figure all this stuff out, to build it from scratch. Um, so it was a massive challenge for those guys, obviously. But there were there were some new people that came in, I think, around um, 2018, and they really grabbed hold of it um, and quite brutally prioritized the work. So really got things organized and then added a lot of manpower on top and a lot of funding and uh, and really got the train moving. So the, by, the time, by the time I joined in January, they were really, as I said, sprinting towards the line. They were, they were almost there. It took us another, how many, seven months after that, eight months to, to land it. Um, and it was pretty intense, but it was a wild ride, let me tell you. Petros, do you want to speak to that one as well or shall we? Uh... I think um, the only thing I'll add is um, I, I view superannuation as effectively a, an investment vehicle, but with a tax structure overlaid around it to, to incentivize people to save, to compel employers to contribute to savings. Mm -hmm. But that tax structure is not only very complex, but it's constantly evolving as well because government is always seeking to tweak it, improve it, make it better for members for superannuation account holders, if you like. So mm -hmm. it's just a, a very rapidly moving um, target as well, if you know what I mean. So it just emphasises the complexities that Dan um, alludes to when he says it's very difficult to build a, a superannuation um, registry that's compliant and and adheres to all aspects of the legislation. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so the guys um, in the past working on this, I think have done an incredible job to get it where it is. That's awesome. I mean, it's, 
yeah, that is a huge achievement, it sounds like. How would you... So I think you spoke to a little bit to that kind of uh, that brutal prioritization that happened back in 2018. And uh, that was obviously a little bit before your guys's time. But I suppose the kind of the development of such a huge project like this kind of has that necessitated uh, a digital transformation within Recreo itself. Uh, and kind of how would you kind of characterize the way in which you're working with your own uh, to develop your own in-house uh, capabilities in order to better support uh, this system as you go forward and try to kind of expand it and uh, and grow it. It's interesting you say, did it force a digital transformation? I like to think, and I wasn't here, but I, I think from what I've seen, I think Recreo was quite a digitally aware and already transformed company. Mm-hmm. I suspect what happened around 2018 was it was more we we were invested in buying an entity that really wanted to develop a superannuation platform for their needs. Mm-hmm. And what I think that drove was more just focus and better prioritization, better processes. So I think I get the sense it was more the focus on those elements, just process, prioritise, run disciplined projects to deliver something um, and a really clear vision in terms of what's needed to fulfil a specific business's needs. And that's mm-hmm. really what, what drove where we are today over and above the a, a digital transformation per se. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I yeah think but the, Dan, the, you might have a different view, mate. I'm keen to hear. Yeah, I, the, there's elements of it, right? So when, when they were building it, they obviously had their eyes on the future. But at the same time, um, they were very focused on the here and now because you've got a you've got a delivery date that's you're under an intense pressure to meet that date, make sure it's compliant, meet with the regulators, make sure that everything's in line so that you can actually go into market so you can put this thing in production and manage hundreds of millions of dollars through it. There's enormous pressure to get that stuff done. When I'm talking about the, the eye on the future that they had, it was late 2018 when because up until then, they'd been thinking about it as what we call a local deployment. So you would actually run it in a data center at the company that was using it. One of the guys at the time uh, said, we should be doing this in the cloud. This is crazy to, to, to try and put this on local infrastructure. So they spent um, quite a long time re-engineering all the work that they'd done so that it could work in the cloud and, and getting in the expertise so that um, we could get it there and get it done properly. So that was the, the first step. And I think a really important step for us was the decision to focus on cloud rather than, than hardware. Um, mm-hmm. But now we're pushing, where do we go next? And so when we talk about digital transformation, it's about digital comms, it's about segmentation, messaging, member engagement. How do we how do we make things as simple as possible for not just the admin staff that are going to use our system, but the end members, because that's where our, our shared interest is for clients and ourselves. And there's going to be a lot of focus over the next year to make sure that our system is best of breed and can do all the stuff that we need it to do that will put it in front of its competitors. Um, to speak a little bit to that kind of uh, cloud native aspect of uh, of OneTrust, um, I was wondering if you could kind of go into a little bit more detail about the uh, about the cloud architecture and I suppose some of the, um, the the functionality that that can that can give. Yeah, so we run on Amazon, so Amazon Web Services, um, mm-hmm. got server instances there, and we try to take advantage of any add-on services there also so we've got cloud watch monitoring we we run it in a in a scale in scale out mode to take advantage of those capabilities of amazon so effectively what we've got is it's a microsoft.net 
technology stack um, mm -hmm. sitting on a Microsoft SQL Server database. Pretty much the sort of the sort of technology components you'd you'd see in thousands of other applications around the world. But um, but obviously running on on the cloud, uh, Amazon EC2 instances. We've got um, front ends there developed using um, modern frameworks such as Angular um, and other bits and pieces in there as well. Some you know. In some ways, a traditional technology stack, but obviously architected and designed to run in the cloud with all the benefits that brings you in terms of being able to rapidly spin up an environment, increase its capacity, decrease its capacity and throughput, and do all those neat things that um, that you'd expect there as well. And, mm -hmm. and obviously, a big part of that is just being able to spin up development environments, test environments really rapidly, um, UAT environments for our customers. We we take an approach of we don't try to build things that are available as commodity services. We we just try to utilize what's out there and what's fit for purpose. And one of the things I'm trying to push a lot more as well is don't build something that you can just buy or or consume that's available off the shelf. Um, uh, to, to speak to your customers as well, kind of, you've both mentioned this as well, the uh, the benefits of being able to uh, spin up and spin down and adjust the kind of the scale of your offering. Is that something that you're seeing your customers uh, take advantage of a lot as you kind of, uh, well, as you kind of acquire your first, first round of big customers? Are you seeing a lot of that kind of flexibility uh, from the way they're using your service? Uh, absolutely. And I can give one example where um, I think this is only my first couple of months here at Recreo, but our, our current customer, due to the, the intense user acceptance testing they were doing for some of our releases, actually mm -hmm. found that they wanted a second UAT environment for user acceptance testing. And um, I think we had one up and running for them in a, in a couple of weeks. And that was, that was not a full-time effort either. That was resources working on other stuff in the background provisioning another environment for them as well and i think since then we've gotten quicker at provisioning those environments as well and again for me that's a big eye-opener again coming from a, a a bank where a new environment would have taken us like you know a couple of months to provision by the time you ordered hardware in got networks set up opened up firewalls deployed software got it all installed you know a, a, a sort of days to spin up an environment versus months it's just such a massive advantage. Yeah, and I, I think the, the hardest or one of the hardest things for us now is, is not so much spinning up an environment, which anecdotally I've heard we can do in kind of half an hour. Create a container and, and put it online. It's actually making sure that all the configuration's right and that um, the integration that we need to other systems is set up so that the environment spinning up is, is almost trivial now in itself, which you couldn't do that back in the 90s. And, and don't, I mean, another thing to not forget is the capital costs as well. Like at a bank, it's not just spin up an environment, it's buy servers, buy licenses. And so you've got this massive capital hit up front to spin up something that in theory, you might, you might only want to be using for four weeks, right? And then right. what do you do with that once that demand's gone? Um, whereas with us, it's using cloud it's pay as you go so spin it up pay as you go we don't need it anymore turn it off and the cost goes away so there's those advantages there that i just think are just too immense to ignore moving forward for anybody not just for recreo but for anybody out there doing what we do well we live in that everything is a service age so uh, yeah no i haven't haven't bought an mp3 of music in over a decade now so yeah um i was wondering if we could touch a little bit on uh, on cyber because obviously um in the past, if you 
set up something that was on-prem for uh, for a customer. Some of that stuff would all be contained within their firewall. And if someone broke in and got it, that would be, in, an, in a sense, a little bit like their problem, probably a problem with their security. Now, of course, um, the cybersecurity, the onus for cybersecurity has very much been kind of taken onto you as this is something you offer and security that you offer through your cloud. Um, yeah, no, what, what kind of uh, like threats potentially? Obviously, there's, there's a lot of money moving around. There's a lot of uh, cash being administrated. Um, what sort of threats are you facing uh, in terms of cybersecurity and uh, how, um, how is OneTrust a better alternative, uh, a more secure alternative than things that people might have been exposed to in the past? So we, we obviously take it very seriously, as, as anybody playing in this space does. But we come at it from multiple angles here. There's not just one one answer to that. But effectively, the first part of it is we utilise all the Amazon um, security and protection features there, and they do a pretty good job of it, uh, much better than I'd argue than what some of the traditional bank-owned data centres or other, other institution-owned data centres can do because, obviously, security is paramount to Amazon themselves. So that's mm-hmm. part of it. We, we make sure we configure our environments in line with best practices as, as espoused by AWS. But over and above that, we've got our own coding guidelines and internal security patterns and best practices that we try to adhere to. We are ISO 27001 compliant as well. We've been through the APRA ticks for security Um, Obviously, our customers risk assessors as well using their own internal frameworks and and auditing processes. So we've we've been through all that rigour. And the other part of that as well is we we engage suppliers to help us as well. So we've got LoopSec as well. So Dan and I um, were talking about LoopSec earlier. Um, They do penetration testing for us and provide us some advisory services. Mm -hmm. And we also use another company called TSS to do a lot of threat detection and event monitoring for us. And they let us know when they see suspicious behaviour on our accounts. Yeah, so we we come at it from a multi-pronged approach, right? So um, vitally important to us. The last thing we want to do is is compromise our customer systems and their information. So it's critical to our business. Yeah, we use cloud conformity to make sure that we've got the the configuration right. TSS obviously is a massive help to us looking at the traffic through the system and making sure that there's nothing that looks wrong that's happening. So apart from the, the controls that we put in place, we've got We've got teams of people looking at this stuff all day, every day, to make sure that any spike, anything that's abnormal gets digested, analysed and flagged if there's any issues. So it's super safe, in my opinion. What what we do is is far away um, more bulletproof than what you could do on an on-prem system because with on-prem, you've always got those people in the room. Our stuff is, is secure and monitored and even the users that use it um, have to go through two-factor. So no one logs in without a, uh, a mobile code sent to them. So we've got overlays that you just you, you don't have on those old legacy systems. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I guess the uh, the 2020, uh, 2020 hackers hacker movie will probably be a lot less interesting than a 90s hacker movie, but it's good to know that everyone's stuff is safe. Um, actually, yeah, no, you guys have, uh, have spoken very nicely a bit to the kind of like uh, to your strategic partnerships and alliances and some of the things you've been doing. And uh, Petros, you mentioned earlier the idea of uh, always buying products kind of 
off-shelf uh, rather than trying to build it in-house and that always creating a better um, a better result uh, or at least a, a cheaper result. Uh, I was wondering if you guys could speak a bit to um, some of your, yeah, some of your strategic partnerships and perhaps kind of the uh, the Recreo attitude towards uh, a partner ecosystem. Um, I think I've got a, a list of some of the guys you guys work with here, people like TSS, you spoke to uh, MongoDB and, uh, and Tata, actually, uh, with some people that you guys worked with. I was wondering if you guys to uh, touch on some of your kind of relationships and your general attitude towards a towards a partner ecosystem and the benefits that it provides. One of the one of the strategic decisions we took last year was that we won't try and be everything to everyone, and and mm-hmm. by that I mean um, you can get quite confused pretty quickly. It's a big ecosystem of a lot of people and a lot of functions working in it, just generally across superannuation. What we wanted to do was be the best superannuation platform. We want to provide the technology, but we're not necessarily the best at everything. We're not the best at security, which is why we partner with those teams. We also need the flexibility to be able to scale up and down quickly. So guys like Tata support us. Um, TCS have, have provided a lot of support for our testing up until now and some others consulting as well. Um, but provides us that flexibility and also longer um, work hours, to be honest. You know, if you're, if you're using um, resources offshore, you can actually run something more like a 10, 12-hour business rather than a, an eight-hour business. Yeah, I mean, just to reinforce Dan's point, we, we try to be really clear what we're really good at and what our IP is, mm-hmm. and we, we understand that. But then there's partners there that have got their strengths, and we, we want to leverage those strengths as well. So security we've spoken about. Tata or TCS have got that ability to ramp up and give us resources and automation of testing and all that sort of stuff. We use MongoDB because they've got a, a pretty good database there that um, that powers some of our software as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's our approach is bank on our strengths and, and leverage our strengths. But where where we have got a gap, absolutely look to partners to um, to fill that gap, and we want to leverage their strengths as well. I think all in all, that makes Recreo a stronger platform proposition than what it would be without those partners. Awesome. Um, As to the the software side of things as well. So we're going to try and be the the best superannuation admin platform, but there's a lot of ancillary kind of functions that you could build into a platform, things like contact management, fund accounting. There's a lot of stuff that goes around it. So we're not going to try and build that. We're going to try and be the best admin platform, but we're obviously looking for partnerships around in those spaces to bring together a suite of services that we can offer to the market. Fantastic. Um, I guess kind of speaking of that, I was, uh, one, one more technology I actually wanted to really touch on is um, how are you guys uh, tackling and are you tackling um, integrating RPA into what you're offering? Obviously, there's a lot of kind of process management, a lot of uh, data entry and data retrieval going on. Um, are you using RPA to automate any of, uh, any of that stuff? So it's quite, RPA for me is, is quite interesting. The, the short answer is right now, no. But um, having said that, though, where, where I've seen RPA used effectively in, in large institutions is where there's heavy human-centric processing around certain processes, right? But yeah. I think in some ways RPA is trying to cover that gap where a process hasn't been automated to the degree it can be. So mm-hmm. you've got lots of user intervention on it. And then you've got RPA coming in trying to automate what a user would have been doing. You know, my view on the platform is let's just automate through the platform itself as much as we can. And then where there's gaps, bring RPA in to supplement that. 
But I, I, I like to think with, with our platform, we're trying to have the platform itself do straight through processing as far as possible within the platform. And I think the, the automation and the flexibility and the configurability of our platform means we can do that within the platform itself to a large degree before mm-hmm. having to go out to things like RPA type solutions. But, yeah. um, but having said that, in, in the future where where a need like that does does emerge for whatever reason because a certain customer needs us to integrate with something else we haven't integrated with, yeah, why not? We we'd leverage it where where we identify a need. I sp- okay, cool. This is this is where we uh, we sort of uh, kind of switch perspective a little bit and we talk about what's going on in the next twelve months for you guys. Let's talk about the ways in which you want to kind of change and evolve and develop. The Recreo offering, so to speak, uh, and kind of what you're what you're most hyped about right now. What you'd like to uh, what you'd like to be the kind of the the flagship um, development that you want to highlight. So, so we've got we've got a pretty a, a large portfolio of change, you might say, over the next. Mm-hmm. I think it's about fourteen months um, that we've laid out. A lot of it's a lot of it's about. So it was funny. I was going through and, and renaming a lot of the uh, the portfolio packages that we've got today to make them a little bit more jazzy. Yeah, jazzy. A little bit something, something normal people could actually understand. It was funny. I was I was renaming one to um, to bulletproof processing because a lot of what we're trying to do at the moment is bed down an already good platform. To be honest. <laughs> So we've got it's a new platform. We've been around for um, seven months, and we need we need the system as a whole to be working optimally. Do you know what I mean? So there's it's almost like a period of of taking stock to a certain extent and making mm-hmm. sure it's working as as well as it can, but also putting a lot of those features in where you've got that wow factor, right? We've got to keep up with the market. We've got to make sure that we're doing we're talking about digital with. We're doing email comms. We can do segmentation. Um, we've got a front-end portal. We can um, put that through a, a browser or a mobile phone, and we can send SMS as well as emails, notifications when things happen in the system. But there's, it's kind of half and half, to be honest. Like a lot of it is just making sure that the, the processing is bulletproof, mm-hmm. making sure that we, everything that happens in the system does not cause issues in the system. So with so many processes and so many um, so many calculations happening every day, we just really need to make sure that all that stuff is bulletproof. It's simple, it's scalable, um, and it's secure. Fantastic. We just have to have a, a, a platform that's robust. Nothing goes wrong with it. And also when when things do go wrong, it's we know exactly what that was and it's recoverable. Yeah, I think that's a big part for me. I've never worked on a system where things didn't go wrong. Yeah, while you try to prevent it, when things do go wrong, you want to be be in a consistent state. So I think that's a lot about my focus over the next 12 to 18 months. But but also we've got one customer now and we've got quite a good platform for them. Mm-hmm. How do we make the platform scalable now for multiple customers and, and the new products that they want to bring onto it and the new things that they want to do for it as well. I think in, in a sense, our technology has to be scalable, but so does Recreo as an organisation. So how does what does Recreo look like as an organisation when we've got three, four, five, 15 customers? So there's, there's all those aspects, which for me is quite exciting because the technology is one part of it, but there's also organisational and, and operating model aspects to recreo moving forward as well that 
we we need to uplift and grow as well. Um, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Actually, let's um, yeah, let's talk about the 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 human side of things. And uh, obviously, um, one cu- you have one customer, and they're a, a very very big customer. I, I googled them, um, and even even one more kind of customer on top of that could essentially kind of double the amount of business that you guys are doing. And obviously you're built to be scalable on the technology side of things, but how are you ensuring that you're going to be equally scalable on the uh, the, the side relating to human capital? So a lot, a lot of our IP resides in, um, in people's heads, right? Like I've got um, a lot of talented, really bright engineers and, and business analysts and, and testers, and we've got DevOps engineers. So I think for me, it's it's keeping those guys motivated. I, I effectively want them to come to work because they love coming to work and they love the technologies they're working on and they love the problems that are being thrown at them to, to solve. Yeah, that's that's part of my challenge is um, keeping people interested, motivated, which for the most part they are, but they all want the next challenge as well. So what what is that next challenge? What is that next focus area? which I think between myself and Dan, we, we kind of know the priority areas of the platform, but it's it's just about communicating and motivating the engineers working on this and giving them that light on the hill as well that we're, we're all working towards and what the next customer um, services we want to build or the next product feature. We try, to, we try to understand what's happening in industry with respect to agile ways of working and working with squads and um, the Spotify model for how they do software development. But I also recognise that what works at, say, Spotify or Google or Apple might not necessarily work exactly that way here at Recreo. So there's that spin of how do we take these things happening in industry but make them fit for purpose at Recreo as well. So that's something... You know, myself and Dan and the broader leadership team are all constantly trying to keep on top of and trying to keep abreast of as well. All right. I think more or less my last couple of questions. The first one is uh, pretty easy. Any events or awards coming up this year you guys are a part of? Obviously, it's good to get some nice gold stars next to your webpage. Yeah, wow. Good question. I haven't thought I haven't thought about nominating ourselves for anything, to be honest. We should probably get on that. <laughs> I think we've just been so focused on our current customer and, and making sure things are down pat for them and, and industrialised and bulletproof, as Dan said, that we haven't really been thinking too much about awards. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, go, I give Petros the occasional pat on the back and that's all he's going to need, to be honest, Harry. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I trust it's yeah. a digital on the back given that you know the world is still ending yes certainly how's everyone dealing with the whole rona situation yeah we're doing all right everyone's working from home like there's no one in the office anymore they're uh i don't don't mind it i I miss the face to face i won't lie i don't it's harder doing all this stuff on video but i think we're coping and i think we're still productive which is important i was a bit worried that you know, when everyone goes home and you don't have that reinforcement of the people around you kind of helping you and encouraging you and keeping things alive. Yeah. It's worked pretty well. I'm su- surprised at how well it's worked, actually. Do you th- yeah, I'm the same. It's, it's definitely um, opened our eyes as well in terms of how, how effective we can be working remotely and working from why home we, as well. Why so, do we need an office, Petros? Maybe we don't need an office. We'll just... <laughs> 
you got to yeah. you got to think about it, right? Because we've never tried this before, and it's yeah. been a lot more successful than I think everyone was was thinking it would be. But to Dan's point as well, I do I do miss the human interaction as well, and just the being in the office and just being able to pull up a whiteboard and draw something or have a yeah. conversation with someone. Do you think that I mean uh, Recreo in uh, specifically, but also kind of in general? But yeah, do you see us uh, when the world kind of emerges from this from this real weird time? Do you foresee the um, kind of a lot of industries embracing a more work from home favorable approach? Yeah, I, it's it's undoubtable that that will happen. I think everyone's eyes have been opened to a certain extent. How do you say it without making it sound cynical, but? Um, that people can be trusted to work in isolation. It's, right. it's kind of what it's about, right? Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that the biggest hit for me will be the, the commercial property sector. Like, um, I think people still need offices, but do you, if you're a 100 person organization, do you still need an office for 100 people or do you only need an office for 50 people and you? And you rotate people working from home because the, the well, cost you, savings there are just too enormous to ignore, right? For sure. I mean, or even do you like? I mean, we, we said before we're living in the everything as a service world. Do you get? I mean, do you try and invest in a company that is a reputable version of WeWork? Yeah, go from that sort of thing because then you know everyone works from home four five days a week, and then you have one day in the office for kind of your meetings and your central stuff. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. For talking with me, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Uh, it's been really nice. Thanks, Harry. And, and apologies for the for our last minute um, sort of reschedule, but um, yeah, but thank you for being flexible there. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Uh, look, back, thanks, mate. Thanks for that. We I think Dan and I enjoy enjoyed that last hour. 